0: So today, today we're going to talk about Sukkot. Everyone say Sukkot. That's a nice Hebrew word. It is the feast of shelters, or sometimes you hear it called the feast of, uh, of tents, or the feast of tabernacles, or the feast of ingathering, the feast of harvest. That's another, another word for it. So, uh, but it, but it's, in Hebrew, it was Sukkot. Uh, so before we go on, Oh, here's my clicker. Before, while I get my clicker, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. We're going we're to figure out what camping and Christmas, if you saw the video I put out yesterday, what does camping and Christmas have to do with each other? It's got a whole lot more to do with each other than what you, what you thought. It's like, man, we still got to get through Halloween and Thanksgiving before we get to Christmas. No, we're going to celebrate Christmas, even now, even this coming week, we can celebrate Christmas. Uh, Sukkot. Uh, It was the fall feast. Now, there were multiple feasts. Uh, If you remember, we studied about two of them this last spring. Before the the children of Israel went into the promised land, there were three feasts that they were told, every year you have to acknowledge these feasts, okay? So we got a lot of information today, but we're going to go through it really quick kind of a, kind of a fast blitz on it but but I, I know you guys are going to be able to get this steak this isn't just milk this is some good steak okay and the word y'all ready for some steak some good good old red meat and the word okay uh what's that all right here we go we got the grill fired up we're going to we're going to do this um if you remember last spring we talked about two feasts the first one started at Passover and then last for the whole week. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we learned how it was very symbolic of uh, the, the death. Uh, Passover was, was about the death, the, the Lamb of God, and Jesus was the Lamb of God. Everything about the Passover meal that they had to learn, that they had to do every single year, was really to point them toward Christ. So that when Jesus finally gave his life for everyone, the, the, the Jews that were ready to believe went, ah, that's what we've been doing all these years. That's what it's about. We learned about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which celebrated the barley harvest. It was the beginning of the harvest season. And and we talked about what the unleavened bread represented, all that stuff. But all of it was pointing to Jesus and what he was going to be doing in the earth. And then 50 days after Passover, we have Shavuot, the Feast of Shavuot, which was the beginning of the wheat harvest, which symbolized multiple things. Number one, 50 days after the very first Passover. Remember the first Passover took place when they were in Egypt. And it was when God was saying, hey, I'm, I'm gonna let the death angel pass over you. and We're gonna apply the blood of the lamb to your doorpost. But it also is symbolic of the fact that I'm about to set you free. You're getting out of Egypt. There's gonna be a jailbreak. Come on, get ready, right? I we're skimming over this, but just to kind of refresh your memory. Fifty days after that, they, the, the rabbis teach that that the law of God was given uh, at, at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, that God gave Moses the law, right? So God established the law and established a legal form of his covenant with Israel 50 days later. And then, it, then to commemorate that, Moses was commanded at that appointed time that they were to... Uh, uh, celebrate the wheat harvest when they got into the promised land, 50 days after Passover. That 50, by the time the Greeks kind of took over the world and everyone was speaking Greek as the common language, that uh, uh, Shavuot became what was known as Pentecost, which means 50 days, which turns out 50 days after Passover or when Christ hung on the cross 50 days later is when the day of Pentecost took place and the, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh at that time. Those that, that would begin to believe, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, they had, and they had an encounter. You remember, we taught about the, the encounter in the upper room was very similar to the encounter that they had at Mount Sinai, so that all those in the upper room would realize this, this is a Sinai moment. This is a Mount Sinai moment, and, not, and God is now putting his law in our hearts via the Holy Spirit, right? So all of these feasts were to point to what Christ would do in the earth. He's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, right? John baptized with water, but he said, but hey, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, So all of this was pointing to Jesus. So then we have in the fall, Moses tells him, you have to celebrate Sukkot, which is also the fall harvest grains and grapes and all that good stuff that they would celebrate in the fall. So let's, let's check this out. The, and it was called the Feast of Shelters or Sukkot, okay? Leviticus chapter 23, starting with verse 39. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month. Everyone say the appointed month. Okay, anytime that you hear in Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew, they would say the appointed month or the appointed time, it always pointed to one of the feasts, one of the festivals, one of the three festivals. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Shavuot or Pentecost or Sukkot, which would be uh, the Feast of Tents, the Feast of Shelters, okay? So at the appointed month, after you have harvested all the produce of the land, the first and the eighth day, of the festival will be days of complete rest. So this is this was interesting because this time they said, you're gonna start this festival on a Sabbath, which would be a Saturday. And it's not gonna go up until that Friday like normal, but we're gonna count the next Saturday, the eighth day. And that's important. The eighth day, the following Sabbath, we're gonna lump in. That's still gonna be part of Sukkot, okay? So the first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day... Gather branches from the magnificent trees, palm fronds, bows from leafy trees, and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God seven days. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. So he's saying, look, you've got to do this. Right? We're going we're going to wave a lot of branches. We're going to celebrate with joy. We're going to eat a lot of fruit. And he, and he says, for seven days, this, check this out. for seven days, you must live outside in little shelters. So you're going to go camping, okay? You're, you're going to put a shelter up out in your backyard for seven days. All native born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So Sukkot would take place in the fall and the 15th month, uh, the 15th day of the appointed month, okay. Usually, according to our calendar, it's gonna fall somewhere in September or October, it just depends. Okay. So he said, what you're gonna do is you're gonna get a bunch of branches from all these the magnificent trees, is what they called it. And you're gonna be waving those branches a lot. You're gonna celebrate with joy. You're gonna eat you a lot of fruit, but you're gonna live outside and shelter. You're gonna make some shelters. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pitch a tent and like live it out, live outside for a week. And it's to remind you that when I, delivered, when I delivered my people out of bondage, out of Egypt. Now, if you wanna apply that in today's vernacular for the sake of the church, Egypt is always symbolic of the world. God saves you from the world, delivers you into the promised land, which is, would be the church body. I don't mean the church like this building. I mean, we are the church. You join this family, this promised land, right? So, so when he delivers you, during that time period before you before you got into the promised land he said you i sustained you and you lived in tents not only did you live in these shelters or booths or tents whatever translation you want to use or tabernacles he said i tabernacled right in the middle of you you remember they took the ark of the covenant and moses had god gave moses specific instructions on how to build a tabernacle in the middle of this tent or this tent city, a mobile tent city. And so the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence and glory of God on earth, was in a tent of its own right in the midst of everybody else's tent. And he said, I want you to remember that. I don't want you to ever forget that, that I provide it for you. Matter of fact, he said, I want you to do it with joy. I want you to be happy about it. And this is what's great about Sukkot in Deuteronomy chapter one, Moses is, they're about to enter the promised land. Moses knew he was about to be taken away because he wasn't going to be able to enter the promised land. So he's giving them a review. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. And you remember God said to do this. Well, he's going through all these feasts and he says, you must observe the festival of shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest season after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. This festival will be a happy time of celebrating. He said, don't Don't be in a bad mood when you do this. Get happy about it. Be joyful. And he says, this festival is going to be a happy time celebrating with your sons and with your daughters. It's going to be a family affair. But look, everybody gets to participate. Male and female servants and the Levites, foreigners, orphans and widows. In other words, orphans and widows always represented those who, who couldn't support themselves in society. So, so from the greatest to the least, everybody gets to celebrate Sukkot. Everybody gets to be happy. Everybody gets to eat. Everybody gets to wave tree branches and just this, nobody gets left out at Sukkot. And it's important, you gotta celebrate it. Every single year, Moses said, it's the law of God. So he goes on, for seven days, you must celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses. For it is He who blesses you with bountiful harvest and gives you success in all your work. This festival will be a time of great joy for all. So celebrate it and be happy about it, because God is the one that's provided. Hey, that's a pretty good, pretty good celebration. You know what? You know why God is such an awesome God, one of the reasons? Because when he said to celebrate what he has done for you, three heart, three times he said, you got to celebrate some stuff. And it was always around feasts, always around food, which means God likes to eat. <laughs> and he likes his people to eat. That's my kind of God. Right? So here's just a little representation of what, what they're talking about. There's the tabernacle in the middle, uh, the altar of incense, all that good stuff right in the middle of that big old uh, tent would be the Holy of Holies and, and the Ark of the Covenant, and all the tribes would camp round about, and this, this is just an artist's uh, interpretation of what their, their tents or their, ta- their shelters or their booths would have been like. Now, there's a lot of uh, modern-day Jews that are starting to rediscover uh, Sukkot, and so they're kind of exploring some of their roots, and what they will do uh, sometimes, if, if you are friends with a Jewish family, they they may actually do this, where they'll actually set out, set up almost, um, they'll 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 take um, wood or whatever, and they'll just set up kind of a makeshift porch or patio, maybe out of lattice work, and put a lot of nice plants and greenery around it, and then they'll go out and they'll have their dinners out, outside on their porch, up under this this little booth that they set up, and they'll talk about uh, this part of their history. Uh, so. How does it apply to us? Because everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing and and, and, uh, is a principle that we can apply within our daily walks. How is it that we can celebrate Sukkot? How is it that we can celebrate the Feast of Shelters? Does that mean that we need to get out and camp in our backyard? You can if you want to. Uh, I'm not really fond of sleeping on the ground personally. But hey, there's some of y'all are big campers and that's all well and good. Check this out. It was really important to them. The prophet Hosea said this. He, he prophesied this. He said, but I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt and I will make you live in tents again as you do each year at the festival of shelters. Man, that was important. He's like, hey, God said, hey, I'm gonna cause you to do this again, to depend on me, to live in tents this is really interesting. How in the world is God going to do it? How is it that we can celebrate the Feast of Shelters? And how does that prophecy, if you go back and read the old prophets, the, the thing about prophecy, it's multiple layered. You can, you can read even the prophecies about Jesus. They, when, when the prophets of the Old Testament spoke them out or wrote them out, they applied to situations that were going on in that day. And yet they also applied to what Christ would do when he was here. And yet they also can apply to what's taking place in our life and in our world, in our current situation. And so that's the wonderful thing about the word of God. It's very multifaceted. And depending on how the light of the spirit shines on it, you see something brand new in it. So how in the world is all this gonna impact us? Zechariah. Zechariah had a really cool prophecy. This is really interesting. Zechariah chapter 14, starting with verse 16. In the end... The enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelter. That's interesting. Remember what we said that metaphorically, anything that applies to Jerusalem or to Israel, can, you can also kind of substitute in and say the church or the body of Christ, Right? So in the end, the enemies of the church who survived the plagues, those who have lashed out, those who've tried to attack the people of God, those who have stood, look at this, even the enemies who have survived some kind of a curse will go to, will get with the church, will get with the people of God each year to worship the King and the Lord of Heaven's army and to celebrate the festival, the Feast of Shelters how, how is it that we can celebrate the Feast of Shelters? What, is that? How, what does that look like? What can we do for the Feast of Shelters? Any nation in the world that refuses to come to, uh, to the body of Christ to worship the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies, will have no reign. If the people of Egypt, Egypt representing the world, if the people of the world refuse to attend the festival, the what? if the people refuse to take part in this festival of shelters, the Lord will punish them with the same plague that he sends on the other nations who refuse to go. Egypt or the world and other nations will all be punished if they don't go to the celebration of festival. There's something about the fest- festival, the celebration of tents, of shelters, of tabernacles. Sukkot, how is it? It's important, how is it? What is it about Sukkot? Sukkot was really important. You remember King, First Kings chapter eight, you remember King Solomon? He wanted to build a temple to God. He said, I don't want, you know, David, his dad started it. He said, you know, I got you in a, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, the glory of God sat in the middle of a tent out in Shiloh. And David's like, I'm in a castle. I'm in this wonderful palace. And how is it that you're out in this tent? And God said, well, you can't build me a temple. You got too much blood on your hands. I'll let your son do it. So Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk the earth, probably one of the most wealthiest men ever to walk the earth, built the grandest temple. The Bible said no other place. People would come from all over the world, rulers and kings and princes and queens would show up and say, I no other God has a temple like this. It was a glorious, beautiful temple that sat on the Temple Mount right there in, in, in uh, Israel, old Israel or old Jerusalem. And uh, those of you who have gone to Jerusalem or to Israel, have, you no doubt have gone up on the Temple Mount, and uh, you remember. And he, you remember the, the 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 dedication of the temple. He sacrificed. I mean, they sacrificed animals like crazy to God. Tons of sacrifices, tons of sacrifices. You know, just to dedicate. Why? Because he wanted to give God a permanent tabernacle god had tabernacled it means to dwell or to live with in a tent all those years he said well i want to i want to put the ark of the covenant your presence in a permanent house look at this god i have built you a permanent house and it ain't like any other house on the planet and well when did he do it check this out first kings chapter 8 verse 2 so all the men of israel assembled before king solomon at the annual festival of shelters at Sukkot, which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethanim, okay? So he did it specifically at the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Shelters because he, he was saying, God, I'm, I built you a permanent shelter. Now you don't have to hang out in a tent anymore. We've all got permanent homes that you've given us. Now you can well, we know that that wasn't a permanent shelter. Matter of fact, if you go to the Temple Mount now at the very spot that they believe was the, where the Holy of Holy was in the uh, temple of, that Solomon built, there's now a big giant Muslim mosque sitting there and that's the Dome of the Rock. You know, you see it in pictures of old Jerusalem and it's Palestinian occupied up there. So you've got to kind of go through security and you can walk around the Temple Mount. That would have been the ground so this temple was on. Ain't no sign of that temple up there anymore. It was destroyed. And Jesus prophesied that. He said, he said this temple's going to be destroyed. And they said, what? His disciples were like, how can this temple be destroyed? Then he starts talking about himself. He said, you're going to destroy this temple, and in three days, it'll be resurrected again. It'll be put back together. And of course, they didn't understand. They said, well, how can this? This took years to build. How can you rebuild this in three years, or you know, three days? They didn't understand. But Sukkot, what is it about? Soko- how can how are we and how is the world supposed to celebrate the festival of shelters? And what does it mean? You know, it's it's we're supposed to go live in tents. Where how how is this how is this going to work? Okay. Now this is where we're we're going to kind of go blitzkrieg, and you can go back and reference it if you want. Let me let me kind of explain some things to you. Let's jump back to John the Baptist. Everybody remember John the Baptist? Okay. Who was his parents? Zacharias and Elizabeth. And if you remember Zacharias and Elizabeth, according to Luke chapter one, uh, Zacharias was part of the priesthood and they had drawn lots. He actually got the, the chance of a lifetime to go up and burn incense and serve the people in the temple, right? So as he's doing that, he has an angelic visitation. Him and his wife were not able to have children. They had been waiting a long time. They were up in age and they pretty much just resigned themselves to we can no longer have children. Who does that sound like from the Old Testament? Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, oh, see, this, see the, the, this is really cool. When God decides to start doing something new, he starts pulling examples from the Old Testament. So the angel shows up, tells Zachariah, says, hey, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. Well, you remember when when the angel of the Lord showed up to Abraham, he said, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. They both responded the same way. They said, have you seen our wives? They're pretty old. And God said, I'm telling you, he told Abraham, the father of our faith, he said, now, your wife's. I'm telling you, your wife is going to have a baby. And Abraham finally said, you know what? I don't care what my eyes see. I'm going to believe the word of God. So yes, I believe my wife's going to have a baby because that's what God said. That's, that's faith. That's faith in a nutshell right there. That's how we're supposed to have faith like Abraham. That, that even though what we see with our natural eye may say one thing, but if God said it, I believe it, period. That settles it. I don't just believe in God, I believe God. Now you got Zachariah. Zachariah, who was a priest, he was a preacher. He says, no, I'm serious, have you seen my wife? <laughs> She's like really old. I think you get the wrong guy. And you know what the angel said? The angel shut him up. It was the most peaceful pregnancy a woman ever had. Her husband got shut up for nine months. He couldn't talk, right? and And so... The angel said, uh uh he said, you are not going to speak doubt over this, so I'm going to shut you up. He said, do you not realize who I am? I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Just, you, know, you can just hear his frustration with Zachariah, right? That's the contrast between the two. Either way, God's word came to pass. It's just Abraham got to walk in freedom. Zechariah had to get shut up so he wouldn't stop Speaking curses over God's promises in his life. And that somebody needs to stop speaking doubt over what God has promised you today. But the angel hearkened back to what the messenger said to Abraham and Sarah. The messenger said, At the appointed time next year, when I return, Sarah is gonna have a child, a son. That's an interesting phrase. What did we say in ancient Hebrew when they said at the appointed time, what did it refer to? One of the festivals, one of the feasts. Now, say this was Abraham. There was no feast yet. Correct. However, who was logging this story about Abraham? It happened in the first five books of the Bible. It happened in Genesis. Who is credited with being the author of Genesis? Moses, who was also instructing his people about the feasts. Moses. So Moses, who is writing to a people that he's trying to establish a history and a law and societal rules with and and a religion, he is using vernacular that they would understand. If you actually go uh, study the midrashes and the rabbis, they will teach that Isaac, they believe, was born on what would eventually become Passover, the first feast, because God said at the appointed time, your your wife's gonna have a son, Isaac, the promised son. Passover was about the promise of God. I promise that my blood is going to protect you and not only that, liberate you to get you out of Egypt. That's the promise. Isaac was the promise that that God was going to make Abraham a great nation. Passover was part of the promise to say that we're about to go live in the nation that I promised you. Right? It all ties together. So when the angel tells Zechariah, hey, you're going to be shut up and you're not going to get to talk until the appointed time when your wife will give birth to a son. What did we say at a point of time meant? One of the feasts, which means John the Baptist was born during one of the feasts. Which feast was he born in? Let me think, which feast was he born in? Here, there was three feasts, three feasts. Which one was he born in? Well, interesting, one of the prophecies said that Elijah must first come before the Messiah comes. Y'all remember that? Because that's what they told Jesus. If you're the Messiah, well, Elijah's got to come. And Jesus said, oh, Elijah did come. Who, was, who did he say came in the spirit of Elijah? John the Baptist. Well, guess when they always, guess what the Old Testament prophesied that Elijah would come at Passover. Before the Messiah came on the scene, Elijah's got to show up. Well, when's he going to come, Rabbi? He'll come at Passover. Why? Because that's the first feast that celebrates the deliverance of God's people. So Elijah must come at Passover. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. The angel said that he would be born at the appointed time, which lends itself for you to believe possibly that he was born at Passover. Pretty cool, huh? How this thread runs all throughout the word of God. What does that have to do with the Feast of Shelters? Well, not a whole lot at this moment. However, however, John had a cousin that was conceived about six months after him, who was Jesus. The Immaculate Conception. About six months after, according to Luke chapter one, we understand that Mary was, you know, it was about six months. That Elizabeth was about six months pregnant. When Mary got out of town to go visit Elizabeth, why would she get out of town? Because she wasn't married yet, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. And Joseph, who was a just man, didn't want to like, divorce her or anything. You know, they, they were betrothed to each other. So it's like, you know what, hey, go see your cousin. So she goes and sees her cousin. Now, Mary didn't have a Twitter account at the time. She didn't have Snapchat, she didn't have Facebook, so she couldn't like, sit there and put self, ooh, baby bump, you know, all that type of stuff. She couldn't do any type of selfie. So she shows up and nobody knows nothing about nothing except for her and Joseph probably. Because it's like, man, this angel showed up. Everyone's going to think we're crazy. And everyone's going to think that we jumped the gun and, and like started doing stuff before we got married. And we can't do it. And so, all right, go see, your, go see Elizabeth. They're out in the country. So she shows up. Elizabeth automatically says, "Woo! the mother of my Lord has come to visit me the Holy Spirit came on her. She realized, she prophesied, she realized. And, and her baby, John, six months old in the womb, you know, jumped for the first time. So John, Mary most likely was part of, you know, the, the crowd of family when John was circumcised, right? And, and they said, hey, his name is John. He ain't gonna be named Zachariah Jr. His name is John. So, so Mary most likely was about three months old, Roughly. Now, six months from Passover is another feast, which is an appointed time, which is Sukkot, the Feast of Shelters. So it is highly likely that Christ was born September, october at Sukkot, the Feast of Shelters, which would explain one reason why Mary and Joseph decided to come back up to Bethlehem for the sake of uh, the the, um, census, thank you, the census that the Romans had ordered. Number one, that's kind of where their family's from, and then number two, they're probably on their way caravanning to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Shelters. It would also explain why there was any room in any of the hotels anymore. Why? Because everybody's starting to head back up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Shelters. would also explain one reason why the shepherds would have their sheep out in the fields and not put back up in pens and stables in the cave network that's there underneath Bethlehem because they're letting people stay in there. So, hey, we'll just keep the sheep out here because, man, everybody's coming back in for the Feast of Shelters. Interesting. Merry Christmas, everyone. Say, well, I thought it was December 25th. Well, all that took place about 400 years after the fact, after Christ, when uh, Constantine federalized uh, Christianity. And that's a whole other of I mean, think about it. Think about even our government. Could you imagine our government federalizing? Say, so we're all going to be Baptist. And, it's, and the Baptist church is going to be ran by the government. You don't think there's going to be dirty pool going on in the Baptist church at that point, right? So, yeah, you can imagine what the Romans were doing. Uh, so, with that, with that, very possibly and probable, I would like to suggest that Christ was born at the Feast of Sukkot, okay? The Feast of Shelters. Interesting, because John chapter 1, Amplified Version with this translation says this, the word Christ became flesh, human incarnate and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while amongst us. The word put on a tent of flesh. Why? Because it's a coat. You gotta go live in a tent. He was born in Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't that awesome? Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the man that fell from heaven. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. We have to consume him. Matter of fact, when he was born, what did they put him in? A food trough. Woo, isn't that wild? Do you know what Bethlehem means in Arabic? I didn't know this until I started going over there. I started taking groups over there. One of these days, we're going to do a gathering church trip to the Holy Lands. I'm telling you. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's better than any flannel board representative of Sunday school. You remember that flannel board in Sunday school? I used to be fascinated with that. This is like awesome field trip. Uh, and the, the Palestinians occupy Bethlehem, but they have great respect for uh, the Church of the Nativity and all that stuff. Uh, uh, first of all, because they, they, you know, the, the Muslims do believe that Jesus was a great prophet. Second of all, it brings them a whole lot of money. So you know, it's, <laughs> so they, they take really good care of Bethlehem. Uh, but in Arabic, Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. Arabic, Bethlehem means house of flesh. Isn't that awesome? The word became flesh. God incarnate. And flesh, a tent of flesh. Matter of fact, Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus stood up and said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and I will give him drink. And he who drinks from me will never thirst again. And out of their bellies shall flow, innermost bellies or innermost beings shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus stood up, he basically was decreeing himself to be the Messiah in the midst of a very spiritually barren and dry place. You know, God hadn't spoken to his people in almost 300 years. The glory of God had been gone. They're still going through the rituals at the temple, but there's no glory. And people were so spiritually thirsty. And he stands up when he says that. In John, I believe it was John chapter eight. At the top of the chapter, guess what time of year it was? Sukkot, the festival of shelters. And they said on the last day, the eighth day, you remember it went from Sabbath to Sabbath, said on the most important day, he stands up and he says that. He almost decrees to everyone that he's the Messiah. Come to me, come to me, come to me. You've been celebrating me all year Long, what do you mean? Matter of fact, after Jesus was born, if he was born at the feast of shelters, is really interesting because Luke chapter 2 says, On the eighth day he was circumcised. And this was the fulfillment of the law in Leviticus that said, Every firstborn son has to be consecrated to the Lord, and on the eighth day you will circumcise him. Why did God tell Moses that? Because God knew. All those years later in Bethlehem, during the Feast of Shelters, on the eighth day, his son would be taken to be circumcised and to be decreed with the angel, the name that the angel gave Joseph. And this way, Christ could begin to fulfill the law. What a powerful God. What a crazy God. That for generation upon generation, he would have, a society of people practice feasts and, and, and practice remembering things so that when his Savior would show up on the scene, those who were ready to believe would go, that's what we've been doing all this time. The feast of shelters, the feast of tents, was to celebrate that God tabernacled in a tent of skin. It was badger skin that the Holy of Holies and, and the, the Ark of the Covenant was part of. God tabernacled while everybody else was in their tent, God was in a tent with them. Christ shows up in a tent of flesh. The glory of God, the glory of the only begotten, the Bible says. Look what Paul says about us, because how is it that we're supposed to celebrate the Feast of Shelters? Feast of Shelters said that everybody's supposed to celebrate the Feast of Shelters, and that's the wonderful thing about the Feast of Shelters, nobody has to get left out. Look at this, Paul talks about our own bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, you're living in a tent right now, if it's destroyed or dissolved, we have from God a building, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, all your loved ones who were believers that have already crossed over, there's no such thing as death. Y'all realize that, right? When you're a believer, you, you don't really die. You just cross over. You're just not here anymore. You're wherever there is, you know? but you're still, your loved ones are still very much alive. They just don't have this tent anymore. They're in the presence of God. They got some kind of other heavenly body, it says, that God's prepared for them, right? So we are now shelters. Where does the glory of God dwell now? In us, via the Holy Spirit. You remember Pentecost? God put his spirit right inside of us. So if you believe in Christ, he puts his spirit, he baptizes you, he immerses you in his spirit. Now you get to walk around as a tent holding. So you are, the you get to celebrate the feast of shelters every single day because the glory of God and the provision of God is right there in your tent. You are a walking ambassador of Christ in the glory of God. And we were commanded to be joyful. And we were commanded to celebrate with everybody. Nobody gets left out of the Feast of Shelters. The Feast of Shelters was about Jesus all along. And I love this. We're gonna close with this. Revelation chapter 21. Now everyone thinks of the book of Revelation as apocalyptic, futuristic, crazy stuff, scary stuff. Now, are things going to unfold the way that the LaHays wrote about it in their Left Behind book? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I wouldn't mind getting some of those royalties off that book, though. Man, I ain't hating on them. Praise God for anyone who gets blessed. Now, the word apocalypse. Everyone say apocalypse. You know what the word apocalypse means? It means the revealing So like when someone uses the term, ah, zombie apocalypse, all you're saying is the revealing of the zombies. You know, COVID apocalypse. Well, the revealing of COVID. Well, open up your Bibles and look at the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, now we shorten it. We say, hey, turn to the book of Revelation. But if you open up your book, the manuscript says, the revelation of Jesus Christ or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Ooh, that sounds scary and nuclear. No, it just means the revealing of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation with all its symbolism and all its metaphors and craziness really is supposed to reveal Christ. Not only what he will do in a future time, but how he wants to operate in the church right here and now. It's to reveal Jesus to us, right? Right? So we'll preach about the scripture as if it's in the sweet by and by, but Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, I need to pull the scripture into my nasty now and now. Forget about the sweet by and by, I'll get there one day. But hey, I need some of this right now. And and look what, it's, it's referring to this whole spirit of the feast of tents, the feast of shelters. I heard a loud shout from the throne. Well, who's sitting on the throne? God, God himself is saying this, look, God's home is now among his people. He's kind of speaking in the third person. That's kind of cool. It's like the rock, you know? You know, the rock never refers to himself. He's like, you know what the rock's gonna do? That's kind of cool that God said, let me tell you what God's gonna do. Look, God's home is now among his people. I can't even read it like the rock anymore. I'll stop. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with him. Woo, I want God himself to be with me in everything I face. Now look what he says here. And I've been experiencing this over the last three and a half weeks of my life. And I'm telling you, you can experience it too. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Say, man, I've shed a lot of tears. God will be right there to help you wipe them away. Nothing wrong with crying. You just don't have to live crying all the time right and there will be no more death we just talked about it right I miss my mom and dad like it crazy they're not dead Someone say, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry that you lost your I'm sorry you lost your nephew no I didn't lose I know exactly where he is and I'll see him again I'll see all my loved ones they're not dead they're, they're alive they're just not here and I'm not always happy about that you know but I'll see him again. No more death or sorrow or crying or pain. So what do you mean? I, I'm not going to feel pain? No, we can feel pain, but pain is temporary. We don't have to live in this constant trap of depression and anxiety and fear and crying. All these things are gone forever. Why? Because he dwells with us in a tent. We get to tabernacle. That's what the Feast of Shelters is about. God wants to tabernacle with you. The word tabernacle means to hang out for a while, to dwell with you. He doesn't want to just visit with you. He wants to be sitting there. When you wake up, he's sitting there waiting on you. When you go to bed, he's sitting right beside you. When you're eating, he's sitting with you. When you're driving, he's talking to you. When you're getting dressed, he's putting thoughts in your head. Why? Because he wants to become so consumed with you and you with him. He wants to shelter with you. Ain't nothing wrong with shelter in place as long as you're sheltering with him, amen? Let's all stand. What a wonderful romance God has with us, amen? So this week, you wanna know what's crazy? The Feast of Shelters deals deals with the harvest, right? Sometimes it's called the Feast of Ingathering the Feast of the Harvest, Fall Harvest, but it's talking about bringing things together. Now, uh, a a few months ago in our staff meeting, we got together, we started talking about doing Back to Church Sunday. We kind of threw that out there. It was one of those God moments. We we were all, matter of fact, we were video conferencing. We still, it was one of those times that we, we, we still hadn't had a chance to start totally getting back together. So here we are all video conferencing. We bring up the concept of back to church Sunday. And we're like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, hey, let's do that. And as we kept talking, we started looking at dates. September 9th. yeah, September, nothing else is going, on. yeah, September, yeah, that feels great. September 19th, back to church Sunday. Kind of a fun concept. Come on, everybody, get back to church, you know? Hey, if you've gotten out of the habit of going to church, or maybe you haven't been to church in years, come on back, man, we're, you know, those, those cards that you see, we've got mailers, they're going out all this week. Uh, uh, we're we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a social media blitz. Get the word out there. I encourage you. Talk to your neighbors. Tell them, hey, if you're not going to church, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? Come on in. And, and we're, you know, we've got some things. We've got little treats that we're going to try to give to those who are for some visitors or if you're new or whatever. It's going to be a good time. We just want to invite people to come back. Come on back. Come on back. We all need to celebrate Jesus. We need to celebrate. Why? Because, because God put himself in a flesh tent and dwelt with us and he's still doing it. He's putting himself in flesh tents every week. (laughs) Us. And it's wonderful. We want you to be a part of it. Back to church Sunday. September 19th. Sukkot celebrates the harvest, the end gathering. Guess, I had no clue until I started studying this. Guess when Sukkot takes place this year. September 20th. Now, you can't tell me that God's not up to something. What's he up to? I don't know, but I want to be a part of it. (laughs) Amen. So just, look, don't be shy. Invite people. What if they say no? What if they say no? It's not about us, you know? You don't have to take it personal. Hey, if you're not doing anything this Sunday, come on out, man. It's fun. Offer to take them to lunch. Do something, you know? But let's have fun in the Lord. And let's why? Because it's supposed to coat is supposed to be a joyous time. So after the Sunday, Merry Christmas. Let's celebrate the birth of what Christ is doing in us. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the feast of shelters because it's about Jesus. And we celebrate Jesus today and all the joy that he puts in our life. Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, whether they're watching via the stream or whether they're sitting in this room, will make you the Lord of their life. I know we got people here that have believed in you and I thank you for that. I thank you for their salvation. But not everyone has truly made you Lord of their life. To where you infiltrate every area of our life and you dictate everything. So Jesus, I pray that you become Lord today, not just our Savior, but our true Lord and our true King, we fully submit to you today. We give you our life. Live in us, move in this tent and help us radiate your love and your truth and your word to everyone we meet this week. Blow our minds with your goodness and your love. Take our breath away, Lord. Romance us and pull us closer to you. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Can we worship one last time together as a family? He's gonna take our breath away today, amen.